Three Strands is growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, visit us at threestrands.church. All right, so we're starting a new series today called Lit. Opie kind of alluded to it there, but this series has been in the works for a year and a half. That's a long time to be planning a series, right? And so uh, about six months before we were going to teach it last year, I started putting it together. And if it isn't good after a year and a half, then it won't be good, right? That's the way I look at it. So it's like, if I haven't figured it out by then, it's not going to be figured out. So uh, hopefully we'll get it figured out. But I'm excited about it. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. And here's why, okay? Maybe this has been your story at some point in your life. Or maybe you've just known some people that this has been their story. But I know lots of people that this has happened to, Okay? And, and, and maybe you've seen them at our church. This happens at our church. We're not exempt from this. This happens at churches all over the world. Somebody comes in, and they're fired up. They want to get their life right with the Lord. They want to start living the right way. They want to know what it means to be a Christian and to follow Jesus with their whole heart. They raise their hand. They walk down some aisle. They may even declare it in front of everybody by baptism but they want everybody to know, I'm with Jesus, no turning back. I'm following him wholeheartedly. Make no mistake about it. I'm on his team. He's the boss of my life. I'm going to follow him no matter what it costs me. And I'm counting on him and no one else. And I'm counting on what he's done and nothing else to save my soul for eternity. And they're passionate. And they're fired up. And they look the part. And then a few weeks later, or a few months down the road, they've disappeared. And you're like, where'd they go? I don't understand. They were so excited. They loved Jesus. It looked like they were the real deal, and they were passionate about doing things Jesus' way. And what, where are they? And now they don't even come to church. They won't even respond to your text. They don't even want to hang out with Christians anymore. They're right back to the way they used to be, and you're left thinking, like, what happened? What? It looked like their life was so on fire for the Lord with passion, and now it looks like something or someone has extinguished it. What happened? Maybe you've experienced that for yourself, or maybe you've just watched a bunch of other people do that. I know that I've walked through seasons like that. Maybe you have too. And this series, for the next three weeks, is all about how you can prevent that from happening in your life. Because you're not immune to it. And if you're sitting here thinking, well, I would never, I would never, ever turn my back on Jesus. Have you read the Bible? Like, do you understand like his closest friends turned their back on him? You think you're immune? You're somehow more qualified or more mature in your faith or more passionate or your flame is shining brighter than the Apostle Peter's was? Who ended up denying that he even knew who Jesus was? You think it couldn't be you? It could be you. So for the next three weeks, I want to give you kind of three pieces of the puzzle. It's not the only things that make up the whole Christian experience. It's not even the only things that could help protect or prevent your life from being extinguished. 
But I guarantee you that these are the three basic things to keep your faith flame burning bright. So I lit this flame when I came up here, and Opie kind of mentioned this too, but it only takes three things to get a fire going, right? It only takes a spark, right? Can you ever hear that song when you're growing up? What's the name of that song? You know what I'm talking about, Stephanie? It only takes a spark to get a... I was like with all the Christian dances or skates were too, you know, when I was growing up. So, anyhow, so it only takes three things to get a fire going, right? You got to have fuel, you got to have oxygen, and you got to have a spark. And if you take away any one of those three, there's not going to be a fire. You got to have something that's burning. You got to have some fuel. And, and if I were to put a lid on top of this right now and snuff out all the oxygen, the flame would go out, wouldn't it? If I got rid of the wick and the wax and there was no fuel inside there, the flame would go out. And no matter how long I looked at that candle, if I didn't use that lighter to spark it, it would never start, right? Have any of you ever tried like spontaneous combustion? Have you ever looked at the firewood long enough thinking if I just stare, maybe it'll like burst into flames? See, like when you're a little boy growing up, like that's the kind of stupid stuff you do because you think like, I see cartoon characters do that. I want, I want, like, I want to have, like, you know, Bolt. I want to have, like, that super, like, vision, like, Bolt. Or, you know, I want to be able to just, like, look at stuff and set it on fire. But no matter how long you look at a log, no matter how long you look at some uh, kindling, no matter how long you look at that bonfire, it's not going to light if it doesn't get sparked, right? You're going to have to have something to spark it. So those three things are essential for a fire. So for the next three weeks, what I want to do is I want to give you the fuel the oxygen and the spark to the Christian life. And I want to just tell you, if you go out of this room and you'll do these three things, you'll continue to do them over and over and over again, you will foolproof your life. You will keep your flame from being extinguished. You will keep stoking the fire of your faith to where it grows. And if you don't do them, if you throw out any one of them, your fire is going to go out, I promise. I promise you're not immune to these. They're essential. They're not optional. Some things in the Christian life, donuts are optional in the Christian life. You can be a good Christian and not eat donuts. You can be a good Christian and eat donuts. You can't be a good Christian and eat too many donuts, I don't think. But you can be a good Christian and eat donuts. But you can't be a good Christian that's going to make it from now till death in the abundant life that God wants you to have if you don't have all three of these things. So today I want to hit you with the first one, the fuel of a lit faith. And the fuel of a lit faith is the Word of God. Okay, it's the Word of God. Now, before you jump to a conclusion, it's possible that there's 12 different opinions in this room about what the Word of God is. And when I said the Word of God, you probably instantly went to some thought in your mind. Now, we'll probably hit that today at some point, but I don't know if you know this or not, but the word word is actually a big word in the Bible. I know it's that's confusing. I got it. Okay, but, but the word word is like a really important word in the Bible, and it comes up a lot. And there's a lot of different like phrasings or names for this idea in the Bible. I wrote just a couple of them down. You'll see this phrase over and over again. It'll say, the word of the Lord, or the word of his grace, the word of Christ, the word of life, the word of truth, the word of faith, the very word of God. Over and over and over again, over 450 times in the Bible, we're given this phrase, the Word of God, the Word of the Lord, the Word of Christ. It's followed by some message. 
So how important is it? Much more important than we think it is. Let me read you just a couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 says this. For, here's that phrase, for the word of God is alive and powerful. Let's come back to that. We'll come back to that in just a second because it's weird to me. Like, how could a word be alive? Okay. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You get it? The word of God does something that's powerful in my life. Forget about what the word of God is for a second. Just think about this principle that it does something powerful in your life, the Bible says. It cuts between my soul and spirit. It cuts between my emotions and my desires and the Spirit of God living inside of me that tells me what I should be doing, what is best for me, what will give me the best, most successful, most fulfilling life, the Word of God cuts between those two things so that I can tell the difference between what I want and what God wants, what I think is best and what God says is best, what I think will make me happy and what God promises will make me happy. It is the thing that cuts between those two and then exposes my thoughts and my weaknesses so that I can see them for what they are. Without the Word of God, I can't see that stuff. Without the Word of God, I'm blind between my soul and spirit. And I have the Spirit of God living inside of me if I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. What I'm talking about is letting the flame of your faith get put out. The confusion between what I want and what God wants. Because when you become a Christian, believe it or not, you don't get to be perfect. There are no perfect Christians out there. So I'm still wrestling with what I want to do and what I feel my desires are and what God says is best for me. And the only way to know the difference between the two, the cuts between the two, is the word of God. How important is it? Look at what Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says. So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the word of Christ. Do you understand? Like You can't even have faith without the Word of God. It's impossible to even have faith without hearing words from God. How important is it? It's everything. You can't exist without it. You can't burn without it. You'll go out. You'll tap out. And we watch it happen over and over and over again. I've watched it happen in my own life. You'll tap out. So what I want to do today is I just want to kind of break down these words in the Bible. So really, the, the Word of God is kind of demonstrated four different ways. I, I want to just give you all four of those real quick. Here, here's the first one. You ready? The first one I've called the audible Word of God. The audible Word of God. This is the one I really referenced here at the beginning where you read in the Bible and it says, the Word of God came to a prophet or the Word of God came to Jeremiah or the Word of God came to Moses. And then it's followed with some specific message literally from the lips of God where the hearer can hear it with his ears. The audible Word of God. 
Hundreds and hundreds of examples of that in the Bible. Commands, promises, words of encouragement, challenges, instructions. The audible word of God. You can hear it with your ears. God calls out Samuel's name in the middle of the night. He pronounced his approval over Jesus while he was being baptized in front of a crowd. He told the whole nation of Israel to obey his commands and he would give them blessing beyond their wildest imagination. Sometimes the audible word of the Lord, the audible word of God comes to an individual. Sometimes it comes to a group of people. Sometimes it's spoken to a whole nation. But it's this word you can hear. Here's an example in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. Look at God's relationship with Moses. It says, So the Lord used to speak to Moses, speak to Moses, face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend, the audible word of God. You guys understand what that is? Pretty easy to understand. And when I said the word of God, some of you may have thought of that instantly. That's what I was thinking of, right? It's this, thus saith the Lord phrase in the Bible. The word of the Lord came to so-and-so, or just a few examples of it you might have heard before if you've ever been in church or if you've ever read the Bible. Here's the second one, the visible word of God. This is one that people don't think about a lot in our culture, but the visible word of God. The visible word of God in the Bible is creation. The visible word of God is referenced all throughout the Bible as God's creation. This is a hard one for us to understand, but God is the only living being who's able to create something out of nothing. Right? In the first translation of the Bible that wasn't in Hebrew or Greek, the Latin Vulgate, there's a phrase they use in the Old Testament called ex nihilio. It means out of nothing. And it's how they describe God's creation in Genesis. He's the only one you've ever known or will ever meet that can create something out of nothing. No matter what I do or what I say, I can't make anything out of nothing. I always need something to start with, but not God. God can create out of nothing. And the Bible talks about it over and over again. That just with his words, he speaks things into existence. How do I know that? Because God said, let there be light, and light shot out of his mouth. 286,000 miles per second, and is still expanding all throughout the universe. Because at God's command, things are created. Nobody else can do that. It's, some of, it's one of the things that makes God unique. But what we don't understand is like, why can't we do that? But God's words are so powerful. His promise is so trustworthy that just the mere speaking of that word brings it into being. That's God. It's the visible word of God. Let me read you some of it in Psalm 33, verse 6. It says this, The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. Look at verse 9, that same chapter. For when he spoke, the world began. It, it appeared at his command. The visible word of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the entire universe has been created by the Word of God. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. 
God's the only one that can do that, and it's on display for you every second of every day if you look around. That God is speaking a word to you in his creation. A message just for you that he's created simply by speaking out loud. Here's the third one. You ready? The incarnate word of God. I know it's kind of like a big $2 theological word, right? The incarnate word of God. The incarnate word of God is Jesus. Incarnate or incarnation, it's just a theological word that means Jesus, God, came to earth and took on flesh. So the incarnate word of God is Jesus deciding to come to earth and live as a human being. The Bible references him as the word, the very word of God that if you've seen Jesus, you've literally seen God. It's amazing. It's the only religion in the world that offers this. Every other faith, every other religion, every other denomination, every other belief system in the world, now and in the past, they only offer a God that is intangible, that you can't really see or touch. They never offer a God that's coming to find you. It's always a God that you have to go get. You have to earn his favor. But Christianity stands apart in that regard. That God decided, you know what? My spoken word isn't going to be enough. My visible word in creation isn't going to be enough. I'm going to go another step further. I'm going to literally come to earth and clothe myself in humanity so that my creation can know me. So that my people can actually touch me, be close to me. It's amazing. And then beyond that, not only did he come and do that, but he didn't come as some kind of like demanding dictator. Bow down in front of me, you peasants, because I'm so powerful. No, he came humble to serve us. Amazing that Jesus would do that. He managed to retain everything he was, which was God, but also became everything he was not, which was man. Look at what Hebrews chapter 1 says starting in verse 1 says, Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. That's the audible word of God, right? And now in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son, the incarnate word of God. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, He created the universe, the visible word of God. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his word. Look at John chapter 6, verse 63. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words that I, Jesus, have spoken to you, our spirit and life. Do you get it yet? you guys get it yet? Like people walking out the doors, bailing on God, can't seem to get their act together, want to do the right thing but fall away. Do you understand how important God's words are to this process? That they are what sustains us? That we couldn't take a step, breathe a breath, We couldn't do anything if it wasn't for his words holding us up, creating everything, giving us power, 
filling us with his spirit? Everything. Look at John chapter 2, verse 22. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said. And they believed both the scriptures and the word which Jesus had spoken. And then, of course, the most famous passage in the Bible showing the incarnate word or Jesus coming to earth as a human is John chapter 1. Look at the very beginning of John chapter 1. In the beginning, the word already existed. We find out later in the passage, the word is a reference to Jesus, right? In the beginning, the word already existed. The word already existed before anything was created. You get that, right? The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. Not everything except for some primordial soup. Not everything except a big bang. He created everything. The word gave life to everything that was created. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of grace and truth. And we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The incarnate Word. Here's the last one. You ready? The fourth one. It's probably the one most people think of in our culture, at least, when you think of the Word of God, right? The written Word of God. The written Word of God. Here it is right here. I got a copy of it. You can get a copy of it, too. We'll give you a free one if you don't have one. If you have a smartphone, you can download it on your phone for free. It doesn't cost you anything. The written word of God. You know what's cool about the written word of God? The Bible, the scriptures, whatever word or phrasing you want to use to describe. You know what's cool about it? All of the other types of God's word, spoken word, all of the other words of God, they're all recorded in here for you. You can get this one book and you can hear the audible word of God. You can see the visible Word of God. You can experience the incarnate Word of God. You can read all of the written Word of God all in one spot. It's amazing. It's something that, that the generations we're reading about in these texts didn't have access to. We have it. You have access to the Word of God in all of its forms in one handy location. And if this is so big and cumbersome, you can just pull out your little smartphone and it's all in there. In a little two inch by three inch screen, bam, everything God would want to say to you in one spot. The written Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 16 says, all Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed. It doesn't just magically appear. People didn't just figure it out and write it all down. God breathed it into existence. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You get all these verses about God's word, like how important it is. It hits every area of life, what's right, what's wrong, how to have life, how to feel good, how to be sustained, how you were created, how to know the difference between what you want and what God says. It's all in the word of God. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 20. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. 
or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. The Word of God. You, you guys get it? Like It's everywhere. Stephanie last week came to me and said, I was studying. She was like, how's it going? Sometimes we have this conversation. <laughs> the answer is usually not encouraging, right? I'm usually like, it's going bad. <laughs> how's it going, she said. And I said, it's tough. It's tough. Here's why. I'm going to tell you why. Ready? Sometimes when I'm teaching or preaching here on Sunday morning, I'm preaching or teaching through a text in the Bible, right? We're looking at a specific chapter or a paragraph or a story, and I'm teaching down through that story, right? Sometimes we're looking at a topic, and we're talking about parenting or prayer or something like that, and we're looking at a bunch of different texts or passages from the Bible about that topic. And then there's a category like we're talking about today. It's a theme, and it goes so far beyond a topic. It's, it's everywhere in the Bible, and we talk about it almost never. The Word of God. It's in there so much that I couldn't stop studying, right? I was like, I can't, I can't make myself stop because every verse leads to another verse, and every chapter leads to another chapter, and the Word of God is so important that I can't make it without it for one minute. And so I couldn't wrap it up. Like, it's like I just had to keep digging deeper because it's everywhere. It's such a useful, good book for my life, is it not? So I want to ask you a question. I asked Lee this before church, right? But what do you think is the most easily available but yet less often read book in America? You can say it out loud. What do you think is the most readily available but least read book in America? What do you think? The Bible? Who said that? Everybody? Everybody? We all spoke in one. We're, we're united. Yeah. Well, that's a good answer. I disagree. I actually brought it with me. I think it's the owner's manual to your car. Okay? Because there's some people that actually read the Bible. I don't know anybody. Raise your hand if you read the owner's manual. Yeah, there's always one nerd. All right, let's, let's just call them what it is. One, there's always a nerd. That, right? Who reads the owner's manual car? Only the nerds, right? Okay. This is actually, I think, because if you have a vehicle, you probably have one of these, right? Uh, so, so everybody in the room who's like of driving age and has their own vehicle probably has one of these in the glove. If you don't even think you have one, just look in there when you go out today. You probably have one. You don't even know it. But we treat the Word of God just like we treat a car owner's manual. We've all got it. Doesn't cost us anything extra. They put it right there in the car when you buy the car, right? But we never check it out. Okay, now there's a few nerds that check it out, right? Have you read it cover to cover? Have you read it cover to cover? Cover to cover. Okay, there's one nerd that's read it cover to cover, all right? So, okay, you could read it cover to cover. But here's what I found out, right? We treat the Word of God just like we treat a, a car owner's manual. We don't read it, even though it's available to us. We don't really care what it says, even though it's right there to help us, right? If we do read it, it's usually because we're having a big problem. Is, is that right? Sounds just like the Bible so far, doesn't it? I mean, I'm not going to read, but if, if life starts to fall, well, I'm about to get divorced. What are I reading here about divorce? Or somebody told me I can't do this sexually. Where do I find that in here? Oh, see, I can't. You wait till you're having some big problem in life. I lost my job. I'm about to go bankrupt. 
I can't get off drugs. My wife's going to leave me. My kids won't obey me. All right, what's God have to say about it? So you wait till you have a problem to even look in there. Then you look in it when you have a problem, and you're like, this is way too complicated. This is way too complicated for me. It's too technical. I can't even understand what it's saying. So what do I do? Instead of keep reading it, keep, then I go to one of my buddies. I'm like, do you know what this means? I don't know what this means either. I was, and your buddy gives you equally bad advice. We treat it just like we treat God's word. People say things like this about it. Well, I know it's a good book, but I don't have time to read that. I mean, who has time to read that? Look how thick it is. Look how thick it is, right? I don't have time to read all that. It's real technical. I can't understand it. It's hard to explain. It's real big. And you know what? I have looked in there before, but it's so legalistic. It's just always telling me what to do with my car. Imagine how ridiculous it would sound if somebody said that to you. Well, I would look in here for advice on my car, but, but every time I do, it just gives me a bunch of rules and stuff I have to do for it. But isn't that exactly what we do with the Bible? Well, I'd look in there, but every time I look in there, it just tells me something to do. That God says it's better for my life. Well, yeah, it's your owner's manual. That's what it's supposed to do. We're criticizing God's word for being exactly what it's supposed to be. Everything we need to succeed and thrive in this life. Everything we need to live and breathe and know what's right and know what's wrong and stay on the right path and keep our flame lit. Oh, well, I get that on Sunday morning. Yeah, good luck trying to put a quarter of a gallon of gas in your car once a week. And then even if you do read it, then even when you do read it, you're kind of like, well, I don't think that's right. I'm going to do my own thing anyhow. Right? Then the car blows up and you take it to the dealership and you're like, I read this, but I did something else. It Isn't that what we do with the Bible? I read it. It didn't work. I mean, I didn't do what it said, but it didn't work when I read it. Because the Bible isn't like, you can't do it like osmosis. You don't like put that under your pillow at night and then wake up the next morning. You're like, I can perform miracles. I slept on my Bible last night. Bring me 5,000 people. I'll feed them with a lunch. Doesn't work like that. You have to work the word for the word to work. James says that. There's no such thing as a faith that doesn't do the stuff God says to do. That kind of faith is dead. That kind of faith is on the path to being extinguished. There's no such thing as a faith that doesn't work the word of God. You have to work the word for the word to work. That's the only way it works. You can't just read it. It's not the reading of God's word that makes it work. The blessing doesn't come from knowing what he says. The blessing comes from following what he says. James said it this way, when I look into the perfect law of liberty, that's God's word, and become a faithful doer of the word, not just a hearer, God will bless me in all I do. Wow! He'll bless everything I do if I do what he says to do. Listen to Psalm chapter 107, starting in verse 17. Some people were fools. Ready? Listen. Some people were fools. They rebelled 
and suffered for their sins. They couldn't stand the thought of food. They were knocking on death's door. You, you get it? They're so upset. They're about to die. They're being punished for their sin. They can't even eat. They're so sick of it. What do they do? What most of us do. Lord, help! They cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. Now, how did he save them? Well, he probably sent an angel to beat up all their enemies, right? Probably provided whatever they needed. Here's some food. Go ahead and eat. Don't be worried about it anymore. I'll just give you my forgiveness because God's such a forgiver. Is that? I'm suffering in my sin. I can't seem to kick this habit. I can't seem to get my life on the track I want it to get on. I can't seem to keep my faith, my flame from burning out. Help me, Lord. I don't want to be like that anymore. And he will save you. Here's how he's going to save you. Ready? Look at verse 20. He sent out his word and healed them, snatching them from death's door. It's like everybody's sitting around looking for a sign. Stephanie and I have this conversation all the time. Stephanie's all about the sign. You guys are... She's always looking for a sign, like if the light turns a certain color, then God really wanted her to get there on time, or like whatever, you know what I mean? Like if the light turns green, or, or if like a parking space opens up in the front, it's like God must have meant something by that. So everything's a sign, you know? Maybe not that extreme, but everybody's like looking for a sign. Like, well, God, if that's the one you want me to date, then just have them like look my way, or you know, something like that. And then of course they look your way because you're over here like this, trying to get in their eye, you know, because you just think they're good looking. But we're all looking for this sign. It's like we're like, okay, God, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do whatever you say. Uh, just give me a sign. Just give me a sign of what I should do. Let's see. Uh, okay, I'm supposed to give you how much of my money? Give me another sign, God. Give me another sign. I'm going to look for a sign. I'm going to do whatever you say, God. Oh, man, it says the same thing there, too. That's no good. Okay, God. It's an important decision I got to make. I mean, I only get to marry this person one time, so like, I just, give, me, give me some wisdom. I'm going to look for a sign, and I'll do whatever you say. Oh, oh, healthy sexuality is only a practice in marriage? I don't like that. Let's see, no, I'm looking for another sign. Give me another sign. Oh, I'm only allowed to have sex with somebody I'm married to? I don't like that either. I'm only allowed to marry somebody of the opposite sex. I don't like that rule either. I'm not allowed to drink whatever I want whenever I want. I don't like that rule either, God. I'm not allowed to overeat anytime I feel like having 48 donuts. I don't like that rule either, God. Give me another sign. He's like, I gave you a sign. It's big and thick. It sounds real technical, and you don't like to read it, but it's all right there. Just because I don't like what it says doesn't mean it's not the sign. But if I'll do what he tells me to do, if I'll follow where he tells me to go, then he'll bless me in everything I do. My faith won't get burned out. I see this all the time. They love Jesus so much. They're passionate for him so much. They want to help and serve, and they want to get into a life group, and they want to experience the real, full Christian life, and then they make one choice, to just start ignoring the Word of God. And pretty soon, they're out of wood, 
They're out of wax. They're out of fuel. And the flame starts to go lower and lower. And it doesn't happen all at once. They go from being at church every week to being at church twice a month. And they go from reading God's Word and caring about what it says to letting it collect dust on a shelf. They go from being at life group every week to showing up every once in a while. They go from talking honestly with their spouse or with their friends about what God's doing in their life to kind of keeping everything a secret and trying to hide it all. And then before long, you just don't even see them anymore. They just don't even respond to you anymore. They just start ghosting you. Don't have time for you. Not feeling well. Too busy at work. But what's really happened is their flame's starting to burn out. At the very end of the Bible, there's this scene that plays out where Jesus comes back and he's described as coming back on a white horse and he's going to destroy all the enemies on the earth that he has. So all that's going to be left is his people. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. There won't be any more disease or sickness or sin. There won't be any more hardship. There won't be any more fighting or backstabbing or struggle. Everybody will get along and everything will be great. And Jesus will rule and reign as our king. There's this scene that plays out where he comes back to fight the final battle for us. In Revelation chapter 19, I want to read you what it says. It says, I saw, John writes this down, I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider is called Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. He wore a robe dipped in blood. You have to read before that to find out where that blood came from, but we won't do that this morning. And his name is called the Word of God. And is it possible, is it just possible, if you just stop thinking about everybody else you know for a second, and just think about yourself, is it possible that you've underestimated how important God's Word is to your survival every day? Is it possible that you've let the world trick you? Because I want you to know, everybody in the world is doing everything they can to convince you that the four words of God I shared with you aren't real. Oh, God speaks in an audible voice. Are you crazy? God speaks visibly in creation. He didn't make all that. It banged. It just came from some cosmic explosion. God didn't really make everything you see. The incarnate, the incarnate word of God, Jesus, you think he was really God? He was just a teacher. You have no real proof that he was the son of God. The Bible, that can't be trusted. Do you understand what's going on in our world? Everybody and everything is trying to convince you that the word of God doesn't matter that much and it can't be trusted. And we just burn out and let them do it. We just let them convince us they're right. Well, science doesn't back up creation. What science? If anybody should have learned anything in the last year in this country, it's that whenever somebody says follow the science, they usually don't know what they're talking about. Follow the science. What science? Where's the scientist that was here 20 billion years ago to tell me what banged? Where's the scientist that walked around with the dinosaurs to show me how they were created? Where's he at? Where's she at? It's, it's amazing like how easily we believe the scientists and how skeptical we are of God. If you want me to believe you, come back from the dead. 
and I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Scientists putting these dinosaurs in museums and telling kids that they were created 20 billion years ago because some protein sludged together in a pool of something that came from who knows where. And we believe it as if they know because it's the science. What science? They've never, I want you, just so you know, in case anybody's been tricked by this, they've never found dinosaur bones. They don't find dinosaur skeletons in the ground. What they find is a fossil like the size of your finger, and then they extrapolate what everything looked like and how old it is. And Oh, we took this soil and we carbon dated it so we know it's 20 billion years old. How do you know, scientists? Were you there 20 billion years ago? How do you know when God said, let there be earth? Let there be sky, let there be sun, let there be stars, let there be man. How do you know he didn't create it all to be that old already? Were you there? Did God make baby mountains? Or did he make mountains that looked old? How do you know? But we just buy it. Jesus, he was a real person, but he wasn't the son of God. He was just a good teacher. How do they know? He came back from the dead. There's more evidence that Jesus came back from the dead than that George Washington lived. But everybody out there would have you believe that you can't prove Jesus is God. Come back from the dead and I'll call you God too. The Word of God. It's everywhere. I brought a picture with me I want to show you. I wish I could find a new one, uh, an actual picture or actual plant of this to bring me, but it's freezing cold winter and we live in a hard area to find stuff like this. So. Maybe you've seen this before, right? This is called a bonsai tree. Anybody ever seen a bonsai tree before? They're native to Japan and even in China, but this is like a, Chinese, or a Japanese bonsai tree, okay? This tree is the perfect picture of what I'm talking about today. You know, if you take the seed, they never really get big. You can't tell from the picture, but a bonsai tree really never gets bigger than like a couple feet, just a couple feet high. It's like a, you put it in a pot, you keep it in your house, and you have to tend it pretty regularly. You have to trim it down. You have to spray it with water every day. This is a lot like most Christians today. They're like bonsai Christians. They come to church, and they never get planted. They just get potted. Okay? They get stuck in this shallow little pot. They put them in a shallow pot so they won't grow real tall. And then you have to take care of it every day. And they come through our doors like that every week. Take care of me. Make me feel good. Inspire me. Spray me with some water. Keep me hydrated. I want to just come to church and feel good. I never really want to get deep. I just want to be kind of shallow. But you'll never grow up real tall. if you. That's a, I'm, I'm okay with that because I'm surrounded by a bunch of other shallow bonsai trees, so I, I feel like I fit in. It's all good. But you know, if you took the seed that creates that bonsai tree and you planted it outside in the ground and they've done this, it would actually grow to be like 15 or 20 feet tall. You're intentionally keeping this tree small by potting it instead of planting it, by putting it in a shallow pot, by trimming it day after day, by keeping it inside. This is how most Christians live their lives. They're kind of cute. They kind of look like a real tree. There's miniature. They're not real deep. They require a lot of attention. That's how, that's how a bonsai Christian is. When you're a pastor, 
You know who the bonsai Christians are. They're the ones that's like, every day the world's ending. You know what I mean? It's like, they never really get deep in their faith. They like coming to church sometimes. They live on inspiration, but they never soak in any revelation. They just want to be inspired. They want to hear something cool, but they don't want to get deep in their faith. Bonsai Christians. And if they don't like it, if you do something at church they don't like, it's all cool because they're not stuck in the ground. They just pick up their pot, go to another church. It's all good. You can't keep them stuck here if you don't want. It's, it's a good. They never have to get challenged. They never have to really grow. In fact, they're expected to stay small and they like it. They look like a tree, but they're miniature. They never reach their full potential. They never have roots that dig down deep. And that's important because with all, all crops, all trees, all agriculture, your depth determines your height. And so the deeper you go, the higher you grow. So bonsai Christians stay shallow. They don't dig into God's word. And they certainly don't do what it says if it's different than how they feel. Why would they? This is how most Christians are living, like bonsai Christians. Little. You can't stick them outside in a storm. A storm will eat them alive. You can't leave them all alone. They can't sustain themselves. And so their flame goes out. I think if you could talk to that little bonsai tree, like if it could talk back to you, like it was a cartoon or something, you know, because bonsais only talk in cartoons, not in real life. But if you could talk to that bonsai tree, I wonder what it would say. I think it would say, this is what I think it would say. You ready? I think it would say, I'm tired of being little. I'm tired of being the smallest. I'm tired of being stuck in this pot. I want to be planted like the other big trees. I want to be outside where I can thrive. I won't be stuck in here on the shelf, little, scared of all the storms, confined to this tiny little pot. I want to be free to grow as much as I want. That's what I think they'd say if you could talk to them. This is what the Word of God does for you. It plants you instead of potting you. And if you plant yourself in God's Word, you can be free of bonsai Christianity. Listen to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord. That's, right? Meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. They prosper in all they do, but not the wicked. They're like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path 
of the wicked leads to destruction. Do you understand what God wants to do when you get this passion in your life, when you decide to follow him, when you explode with faith, when you get lit on fire, is he wants to plant you. He wants to keep fueling that flame. But it's going to start right here with his words. You need them every day. Don't buy the lie. They're not real. They're not good enough. They're not going to make you happy. That's just fake. That's the myth. That's a story that people tell their kid. Don't buy the lies. Or the other lie, like, oh, I just tried to do the reading plan for the year, and I missed seven days. So it's like, now I can't. I guess I'll just give up. So what? Jump back in and read God's word again today. God's not up in heaven, like, keeping track. Well, I was going to give you credit for reading your Bible today, but I see you missed two days before this, so it doesn't count. It doesn't work like that. Read God's Word. See God's Word. Experience God's Word. You need Jesus, the living Word, every day. You need to see creation for what it is every day. You need to hear from God's voice every day. Rarely, rarely does somebody's flame burn out. Rarely, rarely does somebody disappear from here after being so fired up for the Lord. Rarely, rarely does somebody walk out on their family if they're hearing the word of the Lord every day and doing what it says. Rarely. Rarely. So what's it going to take to keep your faith lit? To keep it fueled? I know it sounds simple. I know it sounds like something from Sunday school. But you got to hear a word from the Lord every day. You got to do whatever it takes to hear from Him. If that means sitting outside somewhere so you can just look at a mountain and appreciate what God made, if that means getting together with somebody so you can talk about how great Jesus has been in your life, if that means opening up the Bible and reading something so you can hear God's voice, you got to do whatever it takes with desperation. Because I promise you, you're not immune from your, your faith going out. You're not immune from walking away from Jesus, just like Peter did. Just like any of us would do. You need to fuel your faith every day. Here, I got a picture for you. Ready? This is free. If you got a smartphone, you can download it right now. I give you permission not even to pay attention for the next two minutes. Download on your smartphone, the YouVersion Bible app. It's free. It has like every translation of the Bible that's out there. If you're like, I can't even read, it'll read it to you. We live in the very best time to hear a word from God. If you need a Bible, you stop at the table in the back. We got a free one you can take with you today. Hear from God. Read His Word. See what is created, how He's spoken in creation. Talk to other people to find out how he's spoken through his son. You can tell me whatever you want about science or the way the real world is, but I know what Jesus has done in my life. I get to experience him every day. I get to talk with him like I would talk to a friend. I get to feel him up close to me when I'm having a bad day. Everybody worships when the sun's out. What do you like when the rain clouds come, when the ice storm's rolling in? Do you still hear from God then? Do you still talk to him then? Do you still seek out a word from him then? You got to work the word if the word's going to work. Don't just hear it. You got to do it no matter what it says. 
It might seem technical, might seem like a, a big book that you can't really open. Just dive in and hear a word from him. Are you ready to start pouring fuel on your faith and watch the flame get brighter and brighter and brighter? You can hear God's word. You can see God's word. You can read God's word. You can embrace Jesus who is God in his word. You could keep the faith fire in you burning bright. Peace one, peace one. I hope you'll come back next week because there's two more we're going to give you. But I promise you, if you will do this step, your life will be totally different. I promise you, God's not a liar. Will you dig in and fan the flame, fuel the fire of your faith by hearing a word from God today? Start today. And maybe for you, today's the day where you just say, God, I've never had a moment where I've decided to follow you with my whole heart. Today's going to be day one. Today's going to be the day where I hear a word from you saying, follow my son with your whole heart, and I'm going to follow him no matter what. I'm going to trust him for everything. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to believe what he tells me. I'm going to trust no one and nothing else for my eternal salvation than him. And from this day forward, I'm going to seek to hear a word from him every single day. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, will you pour out some blessing on our church right now? Give people in our crowd here today the wisdom to hear what you've been speaking and the courage to walk out of here and act on it. If you're here and you've never become a Christian, this is the moment right now where you can just simply say to God, God, I want to do it your way. Just tell him, I want to do it your way. I've tried it my way long enough. I want to do it your way. I want to be your child. I'm going to believe whatever you tell me. I'm going to follow you wherever you say to go. I'm not just going to listen for a word. I'm actually going to do what you tell me to do. And I promise you, because of what his son did for you, he will save you. God, just give us the wisdom to hear from you and the courage to live it out. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.